Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Sauce of Selling podcast, the ultimate guide and sales gym to unlocking the secret of successful selling. I'm your host, James Abraham, and on my mission to empower the best generation of sales professionals and business leaders the world has ever seen. Super excited to be here with you today to share insights, tactics, strategies, attitudes, behaviors, and techniques to make sure you take your sales game to the next level. And I'm super excited to have Matt Cohen here with us today. Hey, Matt, how you go? How you doing? Hey, James. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Super excited to have you here. And Matt is an enablement, sales enablement practitioner. And I love having sales enablement people on, on the show because um, I, I just like the science of sales and the process and I'm a process guy. So, uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Now, our topic is um, uh, solving client problems by sales enablement. So what I want to do is I want to take a step back and I, and I got to ask you because I, I never asked this. To, I don't think I've ever asked this before, but how did you get into sales enablement? <laughs> What's the story? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people you talk to in enablement have, have kind of fallen into it, um, particularly since it has really only existed as a function for about 15 years, at least by that title. And I'm no exception. I, uh, I started off my uh, career, actually, nonprofit and government work, got my MBA and transitioned to the private sector. And my first job was in product marketing. And I worked for a medical device manufacturer. And uh, I came to find out there were kind of two sides to the job. There was the side of the job that I knew I was signing up for, the you know, building uh, competitive positioning and pricing and packaging and messaging decks, all that stuff that you expect with product marketing. But then because that company didn't have sales enablement, which I didn't even know existed at the time, I was doing a lot of uh, customer onsites with reps, working on deal strategy, uh, rolling out a sales methodology and process, um, onboarding reps. And I was like, I really like this work more uh, that you mentioned the title of solving problems. I was enamored with the way that our reps helped our clients do that. Um, and so I found out from talking to my network that there was a profession for that. There's a job for that called sales enablement. And I found out that really the most interesting and dynamic enablement was happening at these kind of late stage startups where they were focused on scaling things and building things rapidly. And so I started looking for that and I found the perfect intersection um, in seismic and I was their first enablement hire. So being the first enablement hire an enablement company, it was just a total immersion. And I kind of fell in love with it from there, but that was how I got into it. Excellent. Excellent. And you know, I, a lot of times I think enablement has got this, it's got this like kind of twilight zone aura to it. Uh, a lot yeah. of people don't really understand what, what enablement does, what it means. Uh, I know a lot of people think it's like training and coaching and, just onboarding and stuff like that. What is um, your definition of what enablement is, uh, especially in this day and age where there's so many different moving parts? Yeah, and, and I, I rattle this off a lot, but I'll say every word of this is really intentional and it's been inspired by a lot of different sources. So the way that I think about it is um, proactive identification of gaps, right? So it's not reactive, it's proactive. Gaps in the buyer journey, right? So you're aligning to the buyer. Um, working with revenue leaders to shape priorities. Again, right, it's strategic in that regard. You're building cross-functional relationships uh, to fill those gaps through the optimization of people, 
process and technology. And so then only at the end of the way that I define that, you're getting into kind of the tactical umbrella, the tactical themes of where most people start. That's where your training lives. That's where your content lives. But that broader uh, definition is how I think about it. Interesting. And, and there's a lot of uh, revenue operation definitions coming up, all these different fancy words. Tell me, please, if you mind, could you just make some sense out of what's going on out there? Because everyone's coming up with a different term. Yeah. Well, I, I think part of the whole revenue thing is, um, you know, with this downturn, people feel a pressure to uh, brand themselves less as a cost center. So that's that's part of it. Um but I, I do think that for enablement, specifically one of the reasons we're rebranding more and more to revenue enablement, like revenue operations did, uh, is because of the fact that we have evolved beyond just supporting sellers. And you'll hear differing opinions on sales enablement wasn't intended to just mean sellers. It was intended to mean anyone involved in sales. That's fine. But revenue more clearly conveys all customer-facing teams. So like my role, for instance, right now that I have a Dotmatics, and this has been true for my last several roles, is... I, uh, my primary audience is yes, uh, AEs, EDRs, and even uh, pre-sales as well. But we also have a dotted line into our customer ops organization, which is customer success, right? Services, support. And so you see more and more of that because of the fact that, again, if you don't align to, align to the buyer journey, um, they're not thinking about, oh, I'm talking to a rep now. I'm talking to a CSM now. Like they're just talking to your company. And you need to make that seamless, right? So that's that's how enablement's tried to, I think, uh, meet that need. Awesome. And so our topic is solving client problems by sales enablement. Uh, let's unpack that. What are we talking about? Yeah, so, um, you know, and I was thinking about why I got into enablement, and I alluded to this earlier. Um, you know, I, I obviously didn't start off my career in sales. Um, what I really became enamored with working with reps, though, is the way that they were able to, the best reps, were able to help their clients solve problems. And, I, and I've worked with thousands of reps at this point. And that's the common theme that I see is they, they have their why really nailed down. It's not just hitting quota. Yes, a lot of them are uh, driven by money and competitive, these things that we all talk about with reps. But they have a really clear understanding of I start talking to a client, once I identify a pain that I can solve, I won't stop until I solve that pain. Like that's what really drives them. And so what motivated me being an enablement is if I can help this rep do that better and this rep do that better and this rep do that better, think about the exponential impact of that across a whole team, across a whole organization. And so I just, I just became fascinated with my ability to extract what was working from their brains, because sometimes reps, the best reps can't explain it necessarily why they're good at what they do. Building frameworks, making it repeatable, and uh, for other reps to be able to replicate those results. So um, that's that's really what kept me in enablement. Yeah, well, I, I have a concept uh, when I work with sales leaders, and a lot of times, you know, they're always looking for the right, best people. Um, there's a, there's a, behavioral trait called um, uh, critical thinking. And critical thinking is the ability to connect the prospect's pain to the solution. Not, now, that is a muscle, and very few people have that muscle. It's anyone who's DISC, uh, usually a DC on DISC will have that muscle um, developed more. Uh, and even yeah. then, it's not as powerful. And um, mm -hmm. we find that for the most part, most people are very lazy 
looking for real pain and then really identifying it, quantifying, really diving deep. Uh, and so for the most part, many salespeople, what they do is they're very surface leveled in their selling approach simply because they just don't have that muscle developed. Uh, it can be developed. It takes time to develop it. Um, and, you know, like anything else, like any other muscle, the more you work on it, the more you practice, the, the more power, the more strong, the stronger it will become. But again, there's yeah. a genetical part. You know, some people just have it in them. And, and for them, it's easier. It might be more difficult for them to build a relationship. But in a moment, they can really just ask a few questions and start to really help the buyer understand. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, I, I want to take this conversation with really uh, just that experience you have with salespeople. Um, I have a notion that you've got your A players of 20%. You know, you got your B players or 60%. You got another 20%, which are C players, which are anyone uh, who listens to my show regularly knows I cannot bear these guys simply because they're usually most of the most part toxic to the rest of the team and they're not generating yeah. any results. Yeah. These sales leaders focus most of their time on these C players who don't, we're just going to pull the company back up. Anyway, my question to you is, when you work with salespeople or when you prepare the infrastructure for your AEs or your sales, uh, you know, I don't know, sales engineers, CSs, sure. doesn't really matter. What do you find is most important from a behavioral trait perspective for them to be able to align with your processes that are aligned with your buyer's processes to uncover the real reasons why the buyer should be doing business. I know that sounds a little complicated, but I, I think- No, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I'm, there's a book called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Carol Dweck, and I love that book. I'm, I'm a personal professional development book uh, junkie. I read them, I, I tear through them every month. But I feel like that one has the message that's at the core of all of them, which is growth versus fixed mindset. Uh, and if I were to pinpoint one trait above all else that all the top reps I've worked with have, it's growth mindset. And so essentially what this means for people who aren't familiar is growth mindset is you embrace failure as a means to develop and grow. Fixed mindset is you're terrified of failure because it's going to reveal your inadequacies, which are, as the name suggests, fixed. Um, and it turns out, as Carol talks about in the book, uh, they've done these studies and kids that have more of a growth mindset are successful in a number of ways throughout life, much more successful. Um, and there are ways to become more growth oriented. And so I would say the reps who, when I come into a new enablement role, are open to a new way of doing things, uh, provided you explain clearly what's in it for them. Right. There's a lot of enabling people don't practice what they preach to reps. It's kind of ironic, uh, but you have to you have to build advocates and champions out of your reps, right, as your customers. So assuming you do that, if they're open to it, that willingness, that curiosity to never stop developing the way they sell and getting better, even if they're already hitting quota, those reps are unstoppable, in my opinion. Um, and it, it doesn't mean they just blindly follow whatever process you roll out. They're quite the contrary. I've had a lot of back and forth with those reps and they partner with me in many ways and help me build out the strategy so that other reps can buy in and all that. So that would be the number one thing I would point to. Yeah, the A players, the winners. Um, I have a, you know, we, at Santa, we talk a little about the winners, the losers, and then the at leasters. Uh, but I have a concept called super winners and the super winners are, you know, they're, they'll, they'll try anything. They'll like, mm -hmm. bring it on. Let's try it. Let's see if it works. And if it works great, um, for the most part. And, and I love that, that, that growth mindset versus fixed mindset concept. Uh, 
it's very similar to the scarcity mindset uh, versus the abundance mindset. And, and so focusing on, on those type of professionals must make your life easier, but I'm sure that you're constantly challenging yourself to bring in more powerful because, you know, the winners, they want to, you know, they constantly want to grow. And so you got to probably keep up that pace, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, or you'll find, you know, you'll also find people who are content and comfortable in their way of selling that the, the constant, the classic challenge that we always talk about being new in an enablement role um, is how do you enable enterprise reps who've been selling for decades and they have their playbook down? Um, I've found that oftentimes those people are more open than you think if you partner with them, like I, I touched on at the end there, if you ask them for help. If you if you kind of come across as arrogant and you don't seek first to understand before being understood, and you just try to put your textbook, oh, this is my methodology that I used at my last company and it's this is how you need to use it, they're not gonna go for that. They're too smart for that. They've been doing it for too long. If you say, hey, this is, you know, I've had a lot of conversations being new in this role and my understanding is we may have these gaps. And so I think this could be a good solution. Do you agree with that? How does this fit into the way you sell today? Do we have to kind of tweak it? You think like that's the kind of give and take that I found really brings those people in with enablement and makes them advocates. Um, I'm curious to ask when, when it comes to uncovering compelling pain with the buyers, mm -hmm. what do you find are the biggest challenges sales professionals have these days? Is it more minds? Because we're Sandler minds, you know, the Sandler methodology, we base uh, we have a, what we call a success triangle. And so we focus on behavior, attitude, and technique. You know, everyone wants to the technique, the shiny object, but we also have the behavior and the mindset and also the technique. But I think I'd like to know from your point of view, what do you believe and what do you feel sales professionals struggle with the most? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, you touched on how they don't always identify clearly what the, the pain is. I think that often comes from the fact that they don't ask enough questions. And so what I mean by that is I touched on the importance of curiosity earlier. Every company I've been at, one of the enablement needs that managers mention is we have to be better at discovery. And so I start digging into that because that's a huge topic. Uh, there's a lot there. And nine times out of 10, what you find out is that the rep doesn't have the patience because they're on a million calls a day and they want to get into their pitch or whatever it is um, to stay disciplined and continuing to ask questions till they can clearly articulate the problem that we need to solve. That's, that's usually what it is. It, and so you have all these different frameworks of, you know, um, like we use winning by design at Dotmatic. So it's situation, pain, impact, compelling event, right? There's this the discovery framework. However you frame it, the main thing is that you can clearly articulate coming out of that call. What is, why are we going to do a deal? Like what is, why is this worth our time? And I think the most successful reps know that but you'd be surprised, maybe, maybe not how long you've been doing this, but a lot of people are surprised that a good portion of the sales force, even at really sophisticated, rapidly growing companies, can't always do that. They, they come out of those conversations. I mean, even well into the deal, you ask them, like, what's the core problem statement that we're solving? And they can't articulate it. So I'd say that's the really at the basic 
uh, foundation of discovery. That's what we need to be better at. Yeah, I have a I have a concept. I talk about it quite a bit here. Our listeners, you guys must uh, must remember. Um, there are three types of salespeople. There are uh, amateur salespeople that ask questions to 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 learn more about the buyer uh, or to get to know their their buyer. There are professional sales people that um, ask questions to learn to learn more about the buyer and more about the problem and the, I mean, I'm going to do my little 30 second commercial here. Standard or professional salespeople that ask questions to to help the buyer realize for themselves. Because if the buyer's answering ask answering his own questions, then they're persuading themselves. Because people never argue with their own data. So I agree 100 on that. Um, it is really how how comfortable someone is asking questions, and are they doing it? Are they not doing it because they're either lazy, stupid, don't know, or don't care? And no offense to anyone. Um, and, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that must make your life what more interesting, more difficult. I mean, do you have to police this? Do you have to monitor it? it you know, what, what does it look like from an enablement perspective? Because I know from a sales performance perspective, it is frustrating when I listen to calls or I get, you know. But, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, from an enablement perspective. What does that look like and what do, how do you guys monitor and pick up on that stuff and, and then support the team? Yeah. So I think the, the more operational that enablement has become, the more that it's shifted from just sales training to the definition I, I shared earlier, the more uh, that the manager has become critical as a coach. Because when you have an enablement function that, that you know, focuses on sales coaching, sales training only, um, there is a bit of uh, duplicative efforts there. And so when I, what I always focus on is enabling my managers, number one, on any new framework we're rolling out, you need them for reinforcement, but also how to be better coaches. And so like right now, for instance, in my role, we're working on a coaching package for our managers. Like how do you help them have better one-on-ones, right? And have these coaching conversations. So to answer your question, um, yes, you know, I do watch calls. I do try to uh, have conversations with managers and even reps on occasion. I'll, I'll pick reps from the field and say, hey, how is this going? We have this new discovery template that we rolled out. Is this useful for you? Does it need to be changed? All of that qualitative input is really valuable. All of the data we look at is really valuable, right? I mean, if you look at something as simple as stage one to stage two conversion rates, right? That shows you in part how effective is your discovery uh, you know, looking at things like how is content being used in follow up? We look at all those leading indicators. So we look at data too. We do surveys to ask people how confident they feel about doing these things. I wouldn't say it necessarily makes my life more challenging. What it does is it makes it even more critical that I have my finger on the pulse of why we use that template, why we use that methodology, why we use that framework. Is it meeting the need? Um, and if I don't have really strong relationships in the field with my managers, uh, as well as regularly checking the data in all those ways, like I mentioned, it's going to, that's going to make my life hard. That's going to make my life really hard because I'm going to be sitting there like, why aren't they using this thing? I spent all this time on it. It's, it's this beautiful, perfect framework. And I feel like sometimes enablement people build resentment, uh, because of that. And it's like, well, you, did you have these conversations? Did you look into if it's useful, why it's useful, right? Um, so yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Bringing in the bringing in the managers and the leaders. Um, there, I always say when I when I work with a company, it's it's we always look with the managers and see because they've got they should have the the key that unlocks this thing, you know. And if they're not able to, and, and also I like that that the the, the 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 point you mentioned with regards to the coaching. A lot of managers see coaching as an as an event. The coaching is a process. You know, you got to recognize the problem, and then it takes time to modify the behavior. Yeah. Um, and so I, I agree, and, and it's great to hear that you guys you combine that uh, in order to give your managers what they need in order to help their team. And that also maybe takes away some of that enablement friction, as I like to call it, so that you know no one feels that they're being micromanaged from an enablement perspective. By the way, I, I get it that you guys. I'm curious to know. Um, how does enablement measured? I mean, what do the KPIs look like? I'm, I don't think I've ever asked that question before. Uh, I'll circle back to KPIs. I'll add on to what you said. I think it's it's really critical, especially for managers who are newer to managing. They may have just been really effective reps and the whole concept of coaching may be totally new to them. To differentiate, yeah. to maybe differentiate between that that coaching and feedback, you made a really important designation there. A lot of them just think coaching equals feedback. They don't realize there's the importance of building an action plan and how do you even do that, right? And so to get more specific, when I say about helping managers coach better, that's a huge part of it. Um, For KPIs, I usually focus on always trying to tie to revenue. I don't think enablement does this enough. Um, We we talk about like, we reduce ramp time by 20%. If you're talking to a CRO, like that's that's fine, but they want to know how that translates to dollars. So you need to understand like, what's your average deal size? What's your average cycle time? If you have those numbers, by the way, it makes it really easy to convert ramp time to a dollar amount. Um, So I always try to focus on that. So what's the impact of getting people productive faster, whatever you call that, however you define ramp at your company, that's a really important one. I also focus on depending on what skills we're, we're building a program around. So let's say it's discovery. Uh, and this is why I view having a defined sales process and buyer journey as the foundation of enablement, by the way, um, you need to look at stage conversion rates, right? Okay, how are deals progressing uh, through our pipeline? And how can we align that to skills that we know are related to that stage? So discovery, for instance, uh, this is a true story. Um, In my last company, I saw that, you know, we had a big drop off from stage one to stage two. I had heard some anecdotal feedback from the managers. There was a discovery problem. So I said, well, that's a huge part of uh, the skills involved in stage one. So let's dig into it. And then we had this conversation digging into what the the pains were. And we built this whole program to address those specific uh, uh, gaps in our reps' discovery skills, right? And so it all started with looking at that data. So stage conversion rates is another huge one. Um, And then you hear mixed opinions on this. you know, including attainment, I there are a lot of factors that play into that. I still believe that uh, that is something we should be looking at. I think it's important to look at a lot of leading indicators uh, so that you can be more proactive in addressing gaps in enablement. But I do believe that looking at traditional rep performance, how are they doing in their jobs, still still matters. And you want to understand you know, who, as you put it, who are my A players, who are my B players, who are my C players. And that will inform over time, by the way, are you looking at the right leading indicators? Because you'll start to see a correlation. Oh, these are the behaviors that our top reps really seem to have. Okay, those are the things I need to be looking at to be proactive, right? So those are the main things I think about. 
Interesting. I love it. So, uh, Matt, I got to ask you, what is your secret sauce for selling? Secret sauce for selling. I would say, um, you know, I, I touched on it earlier, uh, but really understanding your why, why you're in sales. And that's one of the reasons why I told you the the topic of solving problems resonated with me. Um, I've, you know, I've posted about this before. I talk about it a lot. The thing that keeps me in enablement is the people I help have really hard jobs. <laughs> like selling is hard. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't agree more that it's a science. It, you know, there's this kind of tradition of thinking of it as this, oh, you just have to have charisma and have a good handshake and all that, right? Um, it is. It has become so much more complex than that. And I think we all know it or we have an idea of that. That's why we talk about all these methodologies and skills and sales process and new professions like enablement. But uh, for reps to be successful in spite of all that, in spite of the constant rejection um, and the complexity of what they do, they really have to understand their why. And so I would say, you know, that's my number one piece of advice. Yes, I like that. Yes, be curious, but understand why it is that you're in sales. And that's a mindset. That's a mindset piece. Usually uh, we hear a lot of technique stuff. And I like the fact that you've actually chose a mindset aspect. Mm -hmm. And I agree 100%. It's, you know, and I got in this business, um, one of my mentors, you know, I was, I really want technique in the moves and like how, and he's like, James, you don't get it. Um, the techniques, that's great. But what is really most important is the mindset, is the attitudes, the behaviors. Uh, once you have that in place, everything else just falls into place really, like really comfortably. So yeah. I appreciate I appreciate that, that, that insight. Matt, I'm curious, what do you like to do outside of uh, yeah, sales enablement? You know, I mean, it's always interesting to hear what people uh, do in order to, um, uh, for their own time, and get a better idea of who you are. Uh, well, yeah, I am. I, as I alluded to earlier, I am a, a total geek when it comes to reading, uh, personal development, professional development. I re I'm a student of sales. So even though I, I didn't carry a bag, I think I, I'd like to think I make up for it by constantly reading and learning and as much as I can. So that is a hobby, a true hobby of mine. Um, I'm super active. Uh, I've lived here in Tennessee for two and a half years and we love it here. Great hiking, awesome nature and lakes and all that stuff. And I'm actually crazy enough to be training for a half Ironman in May. So, uh, that's, yeah, we'll see about a full Ironman later on. We'll see how it goes, but, um, that's taking up a lot of time. Uh, I have two dogs. I'm a huge dog person. So I play with them a lot, uh, do anything I can outside with them. And in my COVID hobby, this is a newer one, the last few years, was learning guitar. Uh, so I've been kind of struggling through that. That's almost like a prerequisite in Nashville. But yeah, that's, uh, that's some of what I do. That's awesome. And, and, and so which books would you recommend anything? Uh, you mentioned the one earlier. And um, anything yes. else? Yeah, so Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Carol Dweck is a fantastic one. Um, I would also say, uh, for those in enablement, uh, the first one I read, and I still recommend it all the time, is Sales Enablement, A Master Framework. That's by Byron Matthews and Tamara Shank. I think anyone, when anybody asks me, hey, man, I'm thinking about getting into enablement, where should I start? It's a great book to read. Um, and then, uh, oh, one I'm reading right now, the book that's on my nightstand right now, Speaking to Influence. 
and and that's one that's near and dear to my heart because um, we have to constantly context switch and enablement and wear different hats and that's the hardest part of the job is how do we communicate to different audiences from one half hour call to the next and so that book is all about kind of getting out of your own way and um, speaking in a way that resonates with others by understanding your audience so yeah those are the top ones yeah that's awesome I'm I there's a I don't know if you know ever heard of Benjamin Hardy uh, dr. Benjamin Hardy and he's got a he's got a few really if you like this stuff a, a couple of really cool books uh, uh, 10x is easier than 3x. And this is super enablement stuff because in the concept is very simple. It says 10xing is easier than 2xing because 80% of what we do is useless. And so stop focusing on the 80%, stop focusing on 20% and you'll 10x faster than the two. And, and, and there's another book I always recommend anyone who's in an operational, operational uh, uh, kind of role or enablement role. It's uh, The Gap in the Game. Um, and and, and he, they're talking about, you know, a lot of times we focus on the gap instead of focusing on the game. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really easy to go to that negative. And, and, and we talked, talked, touched on this stuff at the beginning of the podcast. So, yeah. Um, awesome, Matt. You've been, you've, this has been a great conversation and I appreciate your insight. And uh, I like your, your fresh and, and, and your, uh, your driven approach. Um, sounds like uh, the best of your career is ahead of you. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to seeing your success. Thanks, James. Thanks Thank for having me. Thanks for joining the show. And uh, listeners, viewers, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, what can I say? Make sure that uh, whatever you do, you're doing it for the right reasons. Good selling. <laughs>